I blame Darian. I was talking to him like an hour ago, and I he said, it'll only be 30 minutes, and I'm like, an hour later, and he's still not fucking here. <laughs> In the middle of trash talking him, I see. Mm -hmm. Six mm -hmm. minutes late, you better have one hell of an excuse. Yeah, I know, right? The fuck you doing? I know, right? Fucking dick. <laughs> I hope you yeah, know so what we, we are recording, saying, and that that's staying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, well, I'm I'm recording now too. Yeah, so cool. I'm all good to go. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm recording too. All right, recording three, recording four. Oh wait, no shit. Wait, we're all synced. Recording. Fuck yeah. There we go. I've got my other recording running, just in case I need a backup recording of what I'm recording. Mm -hmm. A yep. backup to the backup to the backup. You oh, better yeah. record yourself recording those things. Yeah, I've, I've, I've recorded myself recording the things that I'm recording. Don't become a recursive recording, though. You know what happens with that? It just becomes an ever-increasing echo. Oh, I love uh, that. That's the ASMR for me. Oh, oh no. What have you done, Dewey? I'm sorry. <laughs> Alright. Yeah, what have you done? I guess we should do an intro. Like a, like a welcome. Isn't yeah, this the intro? Could be. Could be. Might I be mean, that. we need to lead lead up to the music, I suppose. Yeah, I think we've done that. All right. Well, uh, yeah, welcome to the uh, second content-filled episode of the Casual Collective. I'll be your host for today, and we're going to be talking about uh, some ranged weapons throughout history. Um. Ooh. Yeah, we're going to start way back when uh, mankind first figured out how to throw something. And we're going to end up with some more experimental things that are being worked on today. So, I guess, what do you guys think the earliest ranged weapon is? Like the first, the first thing that be, could be considered a ranged weapon. A spear. Mm, well, okay, manufactured. Uh... A pointed uh, rock. <laughs> kind of hard to really put down exactly, but like probably, a rock or both, a purposely sharpened stick. Probably you're both pretty close. Probably. The first thing, the first thing humans learned how to throw was hands. Yeah, I was uh, about to say, I'm like probably <laughs> fists. Huh? I thought a thrown that's, weapon as part of your body. Right. Well, that's I mean, that's if they, if that's merely that's, that's not joke. ranged. No, <laughs> does, he's does. doing it for a joke. Does if they cut no, off so... the, the other other oh, caveman's hand and then throw it at him, you can say, "Stop hitting yeah. yourself." <laughs> so, I probably wouldn't count rocks. I mean, picking up and throwing a rock—it's yeah, a ranged no. weapon. But what are you going to hit with it, really? Um, no, I mean. Slings using a sling to throw a rock, but a sling is different from throwing a rock. But a spear would be probably the closest that outside of hands throwing hands. That's I've got that's something like even closer more than anything serious. I think I don't know. You take a bit so, of leather or whatever, you stick a rock in it, you swing it around, 
and then you somehow use that to throw the rock. Well, yeah, but that wasn't invented until far later. Uh, yeah. The earliest evidence of humans using ranged weapons is uh, spears. Oh. And that dates back about, you know, 400,000 BC. Uh, mm. So, like, that's just a sharpened stick, really. Yeah. Um, so n not even a rock on the end, just a, just a stick that is sharpened and throwable. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't and need that, to be a straight stick. Yeah, well, there's actually um, chimpanzees that, like today, that have figured out how to use spears. Ah. So, I mean, it makes sense. That's how things started. Yeah. Um, and then they figured out, you know, what if we put this spear on, like, a little... They figured out levers. They're like, right, make our arm a bit longer by holding a spear thrower and throw that again. So that's the uh, the atlatl. Um Which is pretty cool. I mean, the fact that that was figured out before just about anything else. But I mean, it did take them, you know, 300,000 years to figure that out. So sharpened stick was king for a long time. We combine yeah. them in a lot of ways. Well, they say that um, innovation doubles every year. Yeah, like, so uh, we've gone... Well, that's, isn't yeah. that more for technology, though? Yeah, like... like, like yeah. You know, processes are getting, like, twice as compact, twice as fast, you know, twice exactly as powerful. That. I wonder when the boomerang um, comes into things, because that's sort that's, of simple. That, yeah, that's well, the next one. So around the same time, uh, boomerangs were sort of figured out. However, so they were used in uh, here in Australia, but also in places like Europe and Africa. Um, and contrary to popular belief, the boomerangs that you hunt with don't really come back. They're just like big stick that you throw. <laughs> I, I mean, if it's a weapon, you kind of don't want it to come back. If it no. comes back, you probably made a mistake. And you want it to be yeah. accurate as well. Yeah, mm. you also want it to be accurate. So, then, uh, so, then, so what you're saying is I should put a scope and a laser sight on my boomerang. I think on your uh, Adelaide would be better. Oh. Or on this next entry, because this next entry uh, changed history forever. You get to about 20,000 BC, and uh, that's when we figured out how to use bows. And oh, that shit. changed the game. Oh, yeah. Um, there is evidence that bows were invented way earlier, um, like 60,000 years ago, and like, we're not super sure, but there's like concrete evidence, 20,000 BC, that bows existed. Mm. That's pretty long ago. And I mean, yeah, that's that, that pretty well changed the game in terms of like humans now being like apex predators and, and being able to like fight each other and fend off whatever. Like we, that's yeah. We humans that's... do love fighting each other for no apparent reason. So yeah, bows were probably the the I'd say personally, I believe them to be like the most important uh weapon or technological advancement ever um in terms of human history. 
I wouldn't say most technology, like important technological advancement, but I'd definitely say like change the game. Yeah, I think yeah, without but without the bow though, I the majority of history just wouldn't happen. Yeah, it would, mate. The more important things was like domestication of animals and creating villages in places people could sustainably live in instead of being nomads. That's fire. Like, fire is the bigger thing for us, technologically, because it allows and us then, to like, refine minerals, cook our foods, which means we don't spend as much energy processing that food. Yeah, we and like pres- preservation of foods, like how- learning how to preserve food for longer periods of time. Like, I think that contributed more to civilization than... I suppose. You know, I, I think I, I was uh, referring mainly to like uh, like a single piece of technology, like an item. But no, yeah, you're definitely right. Like fire and domestication uh, and like animal husbandry, you know, pretty important. Yeah. I would say for combat, though, the bow is the basis for everything that comes afterwards, for the most part. For, I'd say for non-stealth combat, but I wonder when they got the, uh, just a stick with a hole through it that goes all the way through. And you put a... Oh, blowpipe. Yeah, blowpipe. It's actually not that effective. And a little Um, bit of poison. Yeah, that... See, that isn't a weapon that was utilized very much at all. Nah. Um, I'm talking about mostly in terms of scale. I mean, the bow has been... uh, There's evidence of bows being developed independently from each other in different places all around the world. So, like, multiple civilizations all Mm. invented the bow... Independent, like it's a universal design, like that um, that S shape that we draw on our school tables when we're bored teenagers. Yeah, exactly like that. Um, in fact, I think that that yeah, the bow is the ancient equivalent of the of the modern day S shape on the school desk. Because somehow everyone knew about that before we had internet and could talk to each other. It just appeared. Everywhere at the same time. Anyway, um, so yeah, bows remain dominant for like a pretty long time. And you get other things like, yeah, slings were invented for like throwing stones. You get like uh, more uh, tools that assist in throwing spears. You get darts. You get uh, like all kinds of stuff like that. But bows remain pretty dominant. Uh, pretty much all the way up until, like, the invention of the crossbow. Is is it a bow that's, that's just angry? Yeah, well, crossbows were good because I mean, you think well, about. That... Do you know how much strength it requires to pull back a bow and like shoot a bow? Well, Man, especially when it's like a sixty-pound bow. I mean, I've only really shot in a shot a modern short bow, so. Oh look, sixty I've pounds pulled... is really light. Yeah. No, even, but yeah, but even sixty pounds, bro. If you're not got any muscles and don't know how to draw yeah. it properly, and then you like you have to train them how to draw and aim and shoot properly. Whereas crossbows was pretty much like pick up, point, pull, trigger. Yeah. So, just before the invention of the crossbow, I just wanted to talk a bit about the the bow in the medieval period, because that's sort of when it gets its, uh, I guess, its spotlight in history. 
when you think of bows used like predominantly you think of medieval society um or at least i do you know what i think of so, what do you think of that one tribe in the in the philippines or wherever it is that just murders everyone the sentinelese yeah that's what i think of sentinel island they still use the bow and you see planes just fucking peppered in fucking arrows well, there was the what was it the the Christian missionary tried to go over there to spread the word of God and just got shot on his raft before he even got there. Yeah, they they really don't like other people. No, no, they don't. We should go there. The drone footage. Yeah, yeah let's that, not okay. go there. That's that a great our, idea. Our, uh, our like fiftieth episode anniversary, we go to Sentinel Island. We just need something that's arrowproof. I prefer life. Thank you very much. See, it's interesting though that you bring up arrow proof, um, because I mean, you think about what what is arrow proof really? What I mean, what 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 can protect you against a, a stick with a sharpened metal tip on it flying at the speeds that arrows get to? Which I mean, it depends on the the pound. Chainmail. Well, no, it depends because. I reckon, so, I reckon like, a tank we, could do a good job of it. We're talking about period accurate things, right? Yeah. So if you're if you're referring to period accurate medieval, right? And you're let's say that you're uh, a knight, so you've got access to a lot of, uh, like you've got access to just about anything you want that you can get your hands on, because you can afford yeah. it. And you're going up against an army uh, where they have a lot of archers, and you're like, right, I really don't want to get shot today. So, like I don't, I don't want to get. Um, shot and killed with arrows. So, what would you what would you deck yourself out in? Because I mean, bows are pretty scary. I don't know if you've ever been shot at with a bow, but it's not fun. Well, I mean, from what uh, I know, you'd have chainmail, and then you'd have plate armor on top of that. But you wouldn't yeah, be able to go very standard. fast. Yeah, problem with that though is, and what the Mongols used to do is, you usually only wear plate like plate armor on the front of yourself. Because wearing a full body plate armor plus chainmail is fucking heavy. Oh, yeah. Like, you're going to struggle to do anything. So they'd only wear it on the face, like on the front. And what they'd do is they'd just ride around with you and shoot you in the back. Mm. You're actually, you're spot on, Darian. There's the Battle of Agincourt um, is often cited as, like, the, the pinnacle of knights versus bows, like, knights versus arrows combat. Yeah. And... Uh, the French knights had to advance towards the English archers, and the French knights didn't have backplates, so the uh, archers sort of would um, flank them and shoot them from the back. Um, and the Battle of Panay has similar accounts. Uh, obviously, they're not the same battle, but they're very similar circumstances. And... Um, yeah, and so as a knight, you, you definitely want your plate... Yeah, the plate's probably going to work. Like, especially chess pieces and helmets were designed to deflect, deflect. arrows. Yeah, but with your chainmail, it's probably going to go through. I mean, well, it depends. Like, chainmail was made to kind of catch the arrow, and yes, if you're only wearing chainmail no. and you took like the full brunt of it. I have to disagree with you, Darian. I've made a lot of chainmail, and those rings are really good against slashes. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Ups, but as yeah. soon and 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 also stabs from like uh, 
like swords and, and, and low sort of velocity. But once you've got something as small as an arrow going as fast as it goes, it's just going to split whatever ring it yeah, hits. But like, it's... Chain mail was only made to like stop it once it penetrated through the plate armor. Like once it penetrated through the plate armor and hit the chainmail, that's where the arrow would stop because it wasn't going so fast anymore. It used yeah. most of its kinetic force um, going through the plate mail. Unless it if goes it, through it one of those many, many gaps that plate mail has. Yeah, that's what I mean. There's you've got the armpits, you've got the joints, you've got the face, uh, like that one meme with the the guy in full armor with just his arrows sticking out of his helmet. The point yeah, of then, plate armor is to handle blunt trauma and to also protect you against arrows primarily. Yes, yeah, they have plate, gaps. Go ahead. Plate protects you against arrows in the sense that arrows are very unlikely to actually puncture through the plate. Um, and, I mean, plate's very susceptible to blunt force trauma, such as, like, that's why they had warhammers and, and, and picks and stuff, because you want to be able to punch through, and arrows just aren't going to do that. Uh, or you don't have to punch through if you can deliver enough blunt force uh, to behind the armor. It just goes straight through the force. Um, but yeah, the arrows themselves, they had lots of different kinds in the medieval period. You've got things oh, like yeah. needle-nose bodkins, which are specifically designed for going through chainmail. Mm. Uh, and then you've got all other kinds as well. So, um, But taking an arrow didn't necessarily mean death, depending on where you took it. Oh, like anything uh -huh. though, but taking a bullet doesn't necessarily mean death. Even if you no. take the bullet to the face. Yeah. Well, if it goes um, into your skull. No, there are yeah. people no. who have yeah, gotten bullets in their skull and they've just been like, Well now I just think a bit weird. But I'm still oh alive. And there are accounts of people taking arrows in the face and then surviving. Or more often than not, they'd take the arrow in the face, they'd survive, and then the surgeons would fuck it up and they'd die. So Yeah, well <laughs> the, the arrow itself was survivable. Yeah. Um, if they just left it in, he'd just walk around with an arrow in his head. He yeah, Or, you know, um, if the medical technology back then was actually half decent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the thing was, it, it was, just just not in Europe. I mean, the, the Middle East had some of the best surgeons, from what I could tell, and uh, a lot of the yeah, time, but... they were fine. I just, I just yeah, imagine... You have, you have surgery, like, beliefs back then, like, just rub shit into it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, just, I just imagine, like, you've got a line of people, it's like, ah, oh, your arm's been amputated, cut off by some guy with a sword, I'll put leeches on it. You've got an arrow in your arm, I'll put leeches on well... it. Well... Leeches do work at removing dead flesh, so... Yeah. That's maggots. We'll though. get into this more. I've got oh, an episode planned yeah, for the future. I, yeah, leeches just suck um, blood. Yeah. <laughs> I've got an episode planned for the future about medieval medicine, so we'll we'll get to explore all of that at some point. But, uh, yeah, generally speaking, it wasn't that great. No. Uh, in no. Europe, so... Um, but, yeah, the bow dominated for ages and ages, and then you get the invention of the crossbow. So they figured, right, you can pull back a bow, and then what if you could just hold it there, and you didn't have to, like, keep it drawn? Yeah. And that way it wouldn't take as much force all at once to pull it back. You could, like, get a machine to do it, like a little little turn. A little, crank, little couple, couple of little gears. A hand crank handle. or a latching Now, mechanism. I want you guys a little thought experiment. What do you think the benefits of a crossbow are over a bow? Because historically, it's evident that the crossbow rose in popularity just really quickly. Yeah, um, because it was faster to train a troop to use a crossbow instead of training them how to use a bow effectively. 
You also wouldn't. Uh, you wouldn't have. To they have had more power. A... Like you could have more draw weight in a crossbow because you got to the point where they started using cranks, where you could crank it up. So you didn't even need a draw on the crossbow. And you could just put also it got on the ground and crank it. The projectile itself, because it's not an arrow, and it's it's a a bolt that's held in the crossbow, doesn't have to rest against that front bit of the bow so that it stays going where you want it to, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, they're all very good points, uh, and they're all correct as well. Um, crossbows were a lot easier to to train someone on. I mean, with bows, the tradition was that you'd go and shoot every Sunday after church. So, like, this in England specifically. Um, mm. So people would have been shooting bows since they were really, really young, whereas... And that's what you'd need to be really good at it to pull those higher draw weights. But with a crossbow, you could just here, here you go. Here's your week of training. All right, you're all good. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they were more powerful. I mean, you get crossbow. I mean, bows generally cap out at about 180 pounds uh, draw weight. Like they don't really. You can't really get much heavier than that. Um, yeah, but that's still pretty back. heavy. Yeah, but crossbows you can get up in the in the hundreds, like thousand six hundred, eight hundred thousand pounds, like. Mm. And you could just scale them up too. Yeah, well, you do get things like uh, ballistas and scorpions and and um, all that sort yeah. of stuff, but um, that was generally a sort of older invention because they couldn't scale it down and make it portable, so. Once you get the invention of the crossbow, though, I mean, it's just handheld then, and that's mm. yeah, interesting point as well, Troy. You were saying about the bolt itself. Yeah. You heard of the Archer's paradox, right? No, I haven't. Right, the Archer's paradox refers to arrows that, when they're in flight, they don't just fly in a, in a straight line like still. They they flex back and forth, um, mm. and that sort of helps with the accuracy, helps keep it on track, uh, and sort of move around the shaft of the bow. Uh, crossbow bolts don't do that. They just fly as a solid, rigid um, bolt projectile. Like, it doesn't flex at all. So when it hits a target, all of that excess energy is in a straight line. It's not already sort of um, flexing side to side. So it's going to hit a target and deliver not only all of its force, but it's then going to, like... Um, jostle around, I suppose. Like, it's going to... The force that can't go anywhere is just going to vibrate around, I suppose, and make the wound a lot worse. Um, Oh, I didn't know that. It actually vibrate once it impacted and therefore, like, tear at the flesh and... Exactly, especially if it hit, like, a bone or something. Like, that's that's how you shatter bones. Yeah. Um... So if it was a choice, it's like, do you want to get shot with an arrow or with a crossbow bolt? I'm taking the arrow. Um, yeah. Any I'll day. take the arrow without armor because armor could also catch on the shaft of the arrow and cause more aggravation to the wound as you're moving around on the battlefield yeah. and being carted off. But then those arrows that were made with, like, fishbone, I think, what do you call it? Yeah, Where it has the... No, arrows, it, you, yeah, yeah, barbed, yeah, and look, you you were screwed trying to pull those things out. That, yeah, they had these arrowheads called swallowtails, and um, I, I'm mm. gonna 
post a picture in the in um, our chat just so you can see. But for those of you that are listening, and obviously you can't see what we're doing, a swallowtail arrow is kind of like um, if you picture a large V shape uh, well, and then stick an arrow on the end. You know the stealth bomber, like yeah, the the really the, old the iconic and... stealth bomber. Yeah, the iconic self bomber. It's like kind of that shape. Yeah, which is basically a V. I don't know about that one, actually. Does. Yeah. Come on, man. It's just a V. Just yeah, but it's it is kind of that shape as well. Like that kind it's of. It's not you a just a V. Like it, it's a V. I've got a picture just here. See, um... I'm not really great at describing it, but imagine that thing. Oh, so it's it's like the Star Trek logo. <laughs> Yeah, actually, that's pretty close. Imagine, yeah, the Star Trek logo on the end of an arrow, and that's going to go into you. It's sharpened on the edges, so it's going to cut the whole way in, making the wound really wide. Mm. And then once it goes the full length in, it's got these long needle-like barbs coming out the back, so you're not going to be able to pull it back out with cause without causing any more, like, like severe damage on the way out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they weren't used super commonly, but like that's what that's against uh, like soft targets. That's uh, pretty devastating. Yeah, I don't want to get shot yeah, by one of them. You're pretty. No, hurt. I would like to not get shot. Yeah, ideally, I'd like to not get shot, but yeah, just I mean... don't get shot. Period. Well, um, you know that's that's yeah. where like they made full body shields, and you had the sh- turtle wall. Yeah, yeah like- shields are are a good point because uh, especially shields that are timber covered in hide or linen or something like that, very good at stopping arrows. Uh, the arrows do go through, but they don't go all the way through. They might stick a little bit out the back, but it catches the arrow. Yeah, and that's why they ended up making javelins because they'd throw a the javelin into the shield, make it really heavy, and then you know you couldn't carry your shield effectively anymore. Exactly, and that's an that, or just punch through the shield. Ages. Or you can just shoot them with a ballista. That yeah, that's actually the the Roman pilum had a uh, like a head, uh, like a like a spearhead, and then a really long, thin metal shaft. So it would punch through the spear uh, through the shield a little bit, and then what was behind it was thinner, so it could continue to go through the hole even deeper. Oh, mm. that's uh, and then wildly it, terrifying to fight. And yeah. yeah, then it would make the shield really fucking heavy. And uh, unwieldy. Um, so yeah, crossbows then sort of they didn't necessarily take over. I mean, bows were still in use, but crossbows oh, were yeah. definitely uh, rose in popularity. And they had their they, they weren't like replacement weapons. You, you can't say that crossbows replaced bows. I mean, it's like nah. they were two different weapons, often deployed at the same time. Uh, they had different roles. Yeah, like a short sword and a long sword. Maybe. Yeah, sort of. Um, I think about it more in like modern context. You've got like the bow is like your standard sort of uh, rifle, I guess, and then the crossbow is like your anti-heavy armor gun. It may not be able to shoot as quickly, but it's it's uh, it a more powerful when it does. Yeah. I-, I wonder if in history anyone just sort of made. A whole bunch of crossbows strapped together, essentially. You load them all, you aim it at whatever you're you're firing at, then you just set them all off at once. Yeah, Chinese. 
Um, yeah, there Chinese is, had a uh, bow like that. Well, crossbow like did. that. I think it was a double crossbow. Oh, I'm, I'm talking like 10, 20 of them. I uh, can't nah, that's... say with certainty that that existed. It'd be very good against, yeah. like, infantry I know they... and stuff. I know some games have those sort of things, though, where it's like a big um, box and it has a bunch of crossbows in it, and then you're yeah. like... It's kind of like a they missile have... launcher sort of thing. I don't know if it's real, yeah. though. No, um, there were sort of... Uh, examples in written and and drawn sources that show something where they've got multiple crossbow heads and well they've got multiple crossbows strapped together but there's no evidence of it ever actually having been made as far as i'm aware mm. i know once gunpowder was discovered the chinese went nuts with that though yeah well you start off with like the big cannon on the end of a stick and that uh just yeah shoots and yeah, like that's the thing is though that when guns were sort of first invented, bows and crossbows were still very popular. Mm. So the fact that gunpowder weapons uh, took over is similar again to how crossbows took over from bows. You've got they're slower to load, they're not as accurate, but they're more powerful. So it seems that people really did favor power over usability, I suppose. Um, and if you deploy them in enough numbers, it doesn't really matter if you can hit. Yeah. Good old-fashioned musket lines. Just everyone pops up yeah. at once. Bang! And uh, maybe you might kill uh, two people. I mean, you might have some experience with... Um, well, not some experience, but you may have some insight onto uh, the effectiveness uh, about sandbags in the effect, in the, in the effect that uh, sandbags are designed to stop uh, bullets. Yeah? Oh... That's okay. To, but... It depends a lot. Uh, above a certain caliber, uh, you won't be stopping shit. <laughs> uh, seven six two, for example, is such a heavy bullet that, uh, depending on the exact variety of seven six two, it will go right through the sandbag. Sandbags on their own are more meant to catch lower caliber, uh, lower caliber bullets and from further away, as well as providing you a bit of concealment more than cover. Now, if you back it with, oh, I don't know, some wood or maybe a sheet of metal, then it will actually properly defend you. Or if you make it double-layered, you might uh, be more defensible. But the sandbags on their own do not provide you any kind of cover. They're concealment at best. They're meant to be used to make a form of concealment so that you can be stage for an ambush or hidden to observe uh, an entrance or act as a guard. Right. They're very much not. As much as I wish and as much as video games wish, they are not well, that solid. The point that I wanted to bring up <laughs> is that um, arrows, because they're not... It's the same with like uh, body armor. The fact that they're designed to prevent against or protect somewhat against that sort of blunt yeah. of a oh. bullet... A sharpened projectile, like an arrow or a crossbow bolt, will just cut straight through it, or, or puncture, because it's not a blunt, it doesn't expand, it's not a blunt uh, projectile. And the same sort of applies to sandbags. Uh, I believe, and I can't find the source now, but I believe there were instances of, um, it might be Afghanistan, 
of, of people using bows and crossbows against targets that were behind sandbags. Because they could more easily penetrate. Um, Through the, yeah, and I just wanted to get your insight on that. And With regards to Afghanistan, uh, it depends on what time period you're talking about. But in general, uh, they would not be using crossbows. <laughs> if they were, it was like some dude who was just out of his mind like on a drugs. One-off. A one-off. It wasn't a regular thing. You would find more AKs than you could shake a stick at, or Mosul Nagants. Uh, lots of holdovers from the Russian and uh, British invasions. I say invasions because yeah, foreign territories being violated by foreign empires eh, and all that jazz. Wasn't but they a... all left tools and materials that were used by the natives and also terrorist groups multiple times. Wasn't there that one Irish or Scottish dude in one of the wars? World that, War uh, One, I think. Yeah, Mad Jack. That, yeah, Mad Jack. He just used a bow and an arrow. Bagpipes, uh, yeah, bow, yeah. and a sword. Yeah, that was his, that was his loadout. That, that was his D-Day loadout, and uh, he survived. If yeah, he I remember. made it was through World War Two. Yeah, now that was World War Two. Yeah, not World War One. World War One was when we just discovered the guns. Yeah. There was a guy in World War One who just refused to use a gun. Like he think he was a medic, and he's like, I don't even want to carry yeah. a rifle. But um, yeah, he, yeah World he, War Two was mad, Jack. Yeah, what a lad. he was a conscious a objector. I can't say the the, the fucking conscientious label. Conchet fuck. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to say. It's really hard to say. Point is, is basically it's pacifism in that he wouldn't use a gun unless it was in absolute self defense. Like he wouldn't. He wanted to do his it. duty. He wanted to go over, but he was. He was just a medic first a medic. and foremost, not yeah. you know anyone to be combative with. Mm. Mm. Um, anyway, that's a, a good segue into moving on to the development of firearms. Now, this is something that I know a little bit less about. So, I mean, I figured you guys would be able to pick up a slack here. Um, well, see, firearms are easy. What you do is, because we've already invented fire, and then you just put it on your arms. Done. They, 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 wow, they've been throwing hands for years. Yeah, but <sighs> now, now you've got firearms. Okay. So you so, start with the cannon on a stick. I mean, timeless classic. Cannon on a stick. Let's hold on. Let's let's stop. So firearms first were developed in China because they were the first ones to develop gunpowder. It wasn't smokeless gunpowder, but it was gunpowder nonetheless. They used them to make thunder cannons thunder and other things. Cannons. I say thunder cannons because that's the I think the literal. Uh, the literal translation of what their name was. I, this is stuff yeah, that I remember vaguely. Yeah, I imagine like facing down the first gunpowder weapons and hearing them go off. You'd be like, "What the fuck was that?" Yeah, it's it's, the, it's like the first time you experience explosions in a movie when you're uh, younger. You you'd be just like, "What?" Or thunder or lightning for the first time when you're younger, or uh, the first time an animal experiences it. It just freaks out. Yeah, but like and, uh, you normally get used they to thunder very and lightning in like when it's supposed to be thunder and lightning. But, like it's a clear day. You've got you're the commander of an army. You've got all your soldiers set up, ready to go against some other dude, and then you just hear. What sounds like thunder, but there's no clouds. It's like middle of the day, and then you get your shit kicked in. Well, so, so yeah, they, they weren't the, actually that very effective. 
No, they, they, really they were fire lances that were just like black powder and shrapnel, really. Yeah. Um, and that's so that's starting in the twelfth century. Um, with these these uh, thunder cannons, I think you said they were called. Yeah, I called them thunder cannons, but I could be very wrong. This is stuff I've remembered from a while back. Um, so they did have sort of hand cannons as well, but from what I can tell, they weren't as popular. I think no, they, it, um, it started with because they used to blow up in your hand. Yeah, I, I think the hand cannons used to be either the person you're firing at dies or you die. Well, you probably get maimed more often, but they're like extremely unreliable. (laughs) It was also because gunpowder itself was a very new thing and was very not a refined product like we know it as today. Even our smoked, our our smoky gunpowder used for reenactment is far more stable and reliable than what they initially made. Hmm. I wonder what you get the late the late thirteenth century is where you start to get firearms sort of moving out of um, Asia, out of China. Yeah. Um, and they, so that's when they start to develop like actual cannons. Um, and uh, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but I think it's arquebus. Yeah, um, arquebus. And the Genissary cores and all sorts of stuff like that. And there, I butchered it for you, don't worry. And then by the time that you get to the mid sort of uh, 1400s is when you get muskets. So that's when they sort of figured out how to put a, an actual trigger on there, I guess. Or, well, not, muskets not a trigger, and, like, well, they were able to refine metals well enough that they could actually have materials that could withstand containing yeah. those blasts without them being, oh. you know, the size of a small horse. And instead of you know putting a fuse <laughs> on there or or uh, having it like a two-handed firing mechanism, you could just pull a trigger. Uh, yeah, it, they, it was a percussion had, um, cap, or it was matchbox a bit of... was the first one, um, yeah. which was but... just a bit of burning rope on the end of a or flint. Uh, Flintlocks were a bit later, I believe. Uh, oh. Matchbox were were started before, so all it was was uh, a musket. And where you would normally have a piece of flint in a flintlock, they just had like a piece of burning, a piece of like cord that was uh, embering on the end, and that would go down and light the gunpowder. Um, Don't get your guns wet. But yeah, no, no, having an actively burning piece of rope on the side of your gun is not the best uh, setup. So then they sort of moved into flintlocks soon after that. But yeah, no, strong wind and rain was like, would fuck up your matchlock. So, yeah. Yeah. And you'd have wet powder that you'd have to dry. And then, of course, the way that that powder is made, it may or may not decide to spontaneously combust or just never work again because it reacted to the point where it became just this useless powder. Yeah. Pretty much. So that's why flintlocks were, you know, protected your powder a bit more. They had the the pan and the, the cover on the pan and. All that sort of stuff, yeah. uh, and firearms were became pretty popular mostly because of their puncturing ability. You know how we were talking earlier about how uh, arrows didn't usually go through plate. That's a different story for musket balls. Uh, yeah, musket balls don't really care. That doesn't much. really matter how thick your plate is if it's light enough that you can wear it because you don't want it to be too heavy if you have to like wear it. So if it's light enough for you to wear, the musket ball is going to go through it. Yeah. 
Well, so the big thing is that with armor, you need to be aware of spalling and the consequences of having yes. armor that's tough enough to resist the initial impact, but what about what comes after? When the shockwave goes through your armor, it might be worse than having the bullet punch a hole through you. Exactly, and that's the uh, the prominence of warhammers as well, is that they would hit the armor, and then the spalling, it, it would it would carry the force through the armor without even needing to puncture it. Well, uh, with warhammers, it was more of just making it so that the armor was dented permanently. No, not even, not even the dent. It, it really, like, if you hit someone in the head, and it doesn't matter if they've got a helmet on, you hit them oh, with a, well, yeah, with they're a warhammer. Well, yeah, they're going to Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the same thing with the musket bolt. You hit them in the chest, I mean, whether or not that punctures, and it probably will, but even if it doesn't, uh, that's a lot of concussive force being delivered through the armor. Yeah. What about a and there's also the fact a that well, there's also the fact that the uh, the bullet might fracture and spall up into your face yeah. or to um, your comrades to your left and right. That was something else with bows is that the um, the French knights figured that out and they would actually wear <laughs> like a uh, like a linen or or possibly um, canvas or they'd have something. A sort of jacket over the top. Yeah, so that, that it would catch the shrapnel, even if the, the arrow hits the plate underneath and, and splinters, but then the jacket over the top, the covering, will catch all the shrapnel. Or they'd have a um, bit of metal built into their chest piece to try to deflect it away or to yeah, catch it itself. Yeah, exactly. A slight but, uh, shape or a curve. Once you get to muskets, that sort of isn't really effective anymore because... It's either yeah. going to go through your armor or it's it's not. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's not so much an issue anymore. It's more of a yeah. You no and more so, often than enough. It's not like they were that thick, and if you're close enough to the musket ball, that's it. Basically, and and that's why you see in the rise of gunpowder weapons, the rise of muskets uh, coincide mm. with the, the with the fall of armor. There's this arms race, and um, I want to talk about this in a later episode uh, between the developments of sort of weapons and armor alongside each other. But basically, as soon as they're like, it's this 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 armor is getting more and more complex and more and more protective, and then as soon as guns come out, the armor's like, what's the fucking point? Useless, almost. Yeah, yeah, it um, is. And so you might see things like helmets still, because I mean. Muskets were used alongside other weapons. Like they were still using swords, they were still using spears. Um oh, but by and large, still being used. Yeah, there was no point wearing a full suit of like full plate armor when one musket could just ruin your whole day. Um Yeah. So armor in terms of full plates, I mean that just becomes almost redundant. Uh so you still see things like helmets and maybe a chest plate, but like not really much else. Yeah. And shields, I suppose, were still used, um, but again, mostly for um, non-firearm weapons. Yeah. But you'd still think, like, if they could reinforce the shield enough, they'd be able to stop at least a couple of bullets. Well, they probably did. How heavy it could get. They probably did. But it wasn't very yeah. effective for long because somebody would bring out a bigger gun. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, and then and we get into metallurgy and the limitations the, of yeah. material sciences at that time. 
the armors that had once protected against bows and crossbows simply couldn't compete with the force of a musket. Uh, and no. I mean, you, you, you talk about like uh, advancements on both sides, but armor had sort of reached its limit in terms of, you know, how protective it could be without being too heavy. Like they'd really pushed that, that boundary of, you know, how much armor can we put on a person? How heavy can we make a shield and still have Before a too heavy. Yeah, and then muskets were still going through anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah, muskets would just go boom. If you're ever working through. on armor, there's one thing to remember. There's always a bigger gun. And that moves us on to um, cartridge uh, weapons. So, moving away from sort of um, front-loaded uh, underbusses and yeah, lock ball, and, lock. ball and powder... And moving into where the, the powder and the projectile itself are in uh, an already conveniently made cartridge. Mm. I believe the first cartridge weapons um, would be... Pretty sure it was like a variety paper, of pistols. Paper cartridge. paper cartridge, actually. 1586. Um it was like the hammer would come back. You'd put the... So basically all it was was a projectile and gunpowder. Gunpowder mm -hmm. would still have to be lit by something like flint, but you didn't have to put the powder in separately. Mm. Um, like a charge in an artillery piece today where you can have a satchel of powder ready to go. And then yeah. the bullet comes in first, then the, the powder. And then you get uh, breech loading weapons, and uh, then cartridges sort of become uh, metal after that. Um, and you get, yeah, things like revolvers, pistols, a couple of, I think Springfield did a lot of rifles uh, oh, yeah. about this. So, uh, not, not self loading yet, so still sort of bolt action or um, revolver. If we. Uh go back in time just a little bit because there is something that you've missed between the match lock and the flint lock is that the dog lock and the wheel lock the wheel lock the wheel lock is a funny boy he's <laughs> a funny boy yes you may have noticed i skipped over uh, that, and that was because i know very little about it um so the, the wheel lock is uh it mechanically generates a spark so it's not, it's it's not as reliable as a flintlock, because you might have to try and... Like, like lighting a lighter. You don't always get it lit, especially if it's a well-used lighter. Uh, but the, but okay. it has the benefit of, like, there's no wick to keep lit. So it's it's more reliable no. than the uh, matchlock. But, yeah, they're, they're much Only more... just. Well, it's it was more reliable. very soon replaced. Yeah. But it's more temperamental than... Yeah. Like, it, yeah. they cost more... They can have more of a mechanical failure, but in adverse the conditions, function, they'd be more reliable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh -huh. So, what do you think the first self-loader was? The first self-loader? Uh, like, yep. a revolver, or...? I would say a Gatling gun. Yeah, it's spot on. It was a Gatling gun. Um, the good Richard old Gat. Jordan 
Gatling. Fielded oh, by the wait. Union forces during the American Civil War, uh, <laughs> the first self-loading rifle was the Mondragon rifle. Uh, that was the first rifle, obviously not the Gatling gun. Uh, Gatling no, gun was far too big. Still made by Gatling. Yeah, so the, the Mon, Mondragon, or Mondragon rifle. When, um, when was the Mondragon rifle? Right, rifle. Rifle? Rifle. I believe in the mid-1800s. Um, uh, Civil War was in 1812 or 1820. Yeah, because Gatling gun came so around in really 1862. So really it'd be 1800, 1800s, though. It's the good time period, just around that. Um, and then yeah. what do you think the first machine gun was? What like proper machine gun, or are we like, like still proper machine gun? So not like not like self loading, like like um, like yeah, like automatic. but I would say at the maximum. Yeah, spot on again. I see you know your your firearms. Yeah, well, once once we um, get to the more modern area, I generally have a better understanding of them. So the Mondragon was uh, nineteen oh eight, by the way. Mm. Um. Damn. Wait, hold and on. Then, that doesn't make sense. 1908. Should it be 1808? No, 1908. Mondragon rifle. This was like um, to the point where it was like a uh, like an actual rifle, not. Uh... The Winchester's in uh, 1873, though. Like the original lever action Winchester. Yeah, no, no. So I said successful. Like. Um, like actually used in wide. Oh, proper use. wide yeah. use. So that would actually be during World War One. Yes, the that you know age. Was. Yeah, uh, it was used by the Mexican Army um, during World War One. Um, <clears throat> but you've got yeah the Maxim gun developed by Sir uh, Hiram Maxim. That's eighteen eighty four. So that's. Uh, I don't really know my American history, but I'm pretty sure that's... Is that... Um, Hold on, what was the year again? 1884. Uh, oh, is that fuck. the Spanish... That's the Spanish-American War, I think. Yeah. And that's when we were fighting over who gets to keep Texas after Texas. Seceded from Mexico, and then seceded from us, only to come back to us, I think... Man, Texas, Texas uh, is there's, wild. there's so much history so around that area that I don't time, know. Yeah, sort of late 1800s, early 1900s, where you get the invention of sort of automatic weapons, uh, whether it be self-loading, hand-cranked, or like proper... Lever um, action, or fully semi-automatic. Yeah. Um, and then you get to automatic weapons, uh, like full auto, where you can just hold down the trigger and it goes. Burt. Those are the fun ones. Gun, gun go, Burt. Yeah, effectively. Uh, nineteen eighteen. That should that should be post World War One. Yeah. It's at the very War end II. of World War One. You've got the MP eighteen, and you've got the M three, and the Strasturpen. The M three grease gun. The Americans have the M3 grease gun wielded by the uh, the M the commander of the M3 Lee, who's going to be talking talking to you with their M3 radio. Also the Thompson as well. Um, the Tommy gun, the Thompson, yeah, yeah. So this is sort of in the in the the time 
between World War One and World War Two, massive uh, innovations were made in terms of automatic weaponry. Um, and then when you get to World War Two, is when we start to see the emergence of assault rifles, such as the STG forty four. Um, I'm at 44 or the PMP40, I think is what it's called. Well, yeah, MP40. No, the the MP40 is more of a submachine gun, although it is well, marketed as a uh, machine pistol to uh, Mr. Hitler because they, he wanted a machine pistol and not a submachine gun. But everyone else was like, you know what? Fuck you. It's good enough. We'll just tell him it's a machine pistol. Yeah. <laughs> he won't know the difference. And he didn't. He didn't. Yeah, so the the ST uh, the STG forty four, uh, which I believe is German. Yes. Um, yes, Dunkerque forty four is German. The first firearm to occupy the gap between rifles and submachine guns. Uh, oh. So it was like a like a big sort of cross between the two. It had the uh, the firing rate ability of a submachine gun with the range and size of a rifle. Um, was more powerful it had longer range than a submachine gun but it was less powerful and had a shorter range than a rifle so it was like the in-between yeah submachine guns generally speaking are talking more about the caliber of the weapon not so much the yeah. fire rate or the size submachine of the guns they use pistol caliber i believe yes and then heavy machine guns use rifle caliber uh, or machine guns or heavy machine guns both use rifle calibers but there's a weird gray area where it's like, ah, is this a heavy machine gun or is this a machine gun? Eh, question mark. No one knows. So then Just kind of yeah. the next step is something interesting happened. Uh the AK forty seven was invented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it is the right. right arm of the free world. It oh, is no. the most manufactured assault rifle to date. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, right arm uh, of the free world. These things, they they have been so prolific and used in so many uprisings and revolutions that there are multiple countries that have an AK forty seven in their flag, and mm. you can find them now, everywhere across this world. That's we're sort of getting yeah. So we're at um, high high power, large caliber assault rifles. Uh, I think the assault the AK forty seven was seven six two. Yeah, it's 762 by 45 or 54. Yeah, it's a big one. I can't remember. It's a big big rifle caliber. Yeah. Um, And then moving on from that is when we get into the more sort of like modern, current, like still in use today weapons and also stuff that is almost out of science fiction. Like we've got stuff now like rail guns and... Uh, Those are being developed. Stuff like that. Yeah, so I just wanted because I don't know much about this, and so I figured that you guys would have a, coil guns a better so fucking cool. outlook on this sort of stuff. So yeah, what do you think about um, weapons that have sort of been fielded since the the turn of the century, and also that are being tested today? Well, your coil guns, um, they can fire anything magnetic, uh, as long as it's the right size. Um, They've developed them down to just run off of the same sort of battery you'd put in your hand drill. But they're Lithium not... ion or nickel. Lithium yeah, but nickel. they're not they're not particularly accurate and they're not particularly powerful at the moment. Well But you know that's... depends on the size of the weapon system. 
Well, like these these are just like handheld ones that would like approximately the size of a assault rifle. Assault oh rifle. yeah, the, yeah. they're yeah. Those are not very powerful at all. No, you're no. still better served by using proper weapons that use a copper case with gunpowder and a a metal uh, a metal bullet. Mm. But yeah, um, so, they're a lot quieter though. Yeah, but that's by virtue of not having any gunpowder to just go bang. Um, a lot of a lot of weapons, like for example, the M2 Browning is the most prolific machine gun and the oldest serving machine gun outside of the Maxim machine gun to date, and it fires a 50 caliber round. Uh, for context, look at your thumb. That's how big that bullet is, roughly speaking. Like oh, just the diameter of the bullet itself, not the entire cartridge. What about your fairly substantial dishka? Or Dishka. Yeah, they're also the dishka. in 50 caliber. But, okay, I'm talking about American weapons because I'm American, and that's generally what I know of more. I also know of other weapons, such as uh, the G1, the Gali, and the uh, FN Fall <clears throat> from Brick National. Uh, I can't remember the rest it's, of it. It's, it's a, a French weapon that was made Italian. to... Uh, it was made to compete with the... Uh, the AK-47, I think, mm. at some point. There's lots of uh, experimental things, though, that never actually got made, but were sort of concepted. Like, there's the the Rods from God. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Um, that one I've heard. Uh, that one was handled by the Air Force here in the States. Uh, there's also the funny things, such as the gyrojet. <laughs> oh, the gyrojet. <laughs> the gyrojet, where you have a, an entire bullet that actually has a striker that turns it into a small rocket. Yeah, those are cool. They're, yeah. They were very effective. They were that was supposed effective. to be like a, like a covert operation secret ops I, pistol, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it was very weird. It was very weird. There's, um, there's so much about guns that if an armor was listening to me talk about them or small arms repairmen talk about this, they would be like tearing their hair out because of how much we've missed about Oh, the I imagine I imagine all the historians <laughs> are just losing their shit at this episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Like, lots of things if, we're about, if we're talking about as in depth guns. as I'd love to get, I'd love to get more in depth, but we simply don't have the time for me to go mm. over every meticulous historical detail. Mm. But it was um, just a rough gambit of what's happened yeah. with weapons. So, so I know um, we've talked about the STG forty four, which. Um, it came with something occasionally called the Krummelauf, which I believe translates to a uh, curved barrel. Oh, so oh yes, the curved barrel in They actually weren't that ineffective as long as they didn't try nah, to go past a certain... The problem yeah. is they only got brought out, like delivered to the, the war at like the very end, so they just never got used. Because by the time they got delivered, they just weren't doing... Like inside urban area combat. There's so much stuff that like was developed right at the very end, and then only got to see a little bit of actual practical use, or yeah. or uh, didn't even get didn't even get used at all. But like it was so close. Like the, it 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 had a lot of problems. Um, the barrels only really lasted for 300 rounds. Yeah, before uh, bullets just... kept Depending shattering on the curvature. Yeah, bullets kept shattering inside it. So, you know, and again, it was made in uh, when Nazi the Nazis were 
kind of fucked. In the death spiral? Yeah. They were Probably in the death spiral the at that wall. time. Like, right, let's just throw anything at this, see what works. Yep. Uh, then you've also got the uh, the Sharps new model 1863, which was used in the um, Civil War for the, on the side <clears throat> of the Union Army. Now, it's, it's just your normal standard rifle, apart from the uh, buttstock. Because what they did with this gun is they put a coffee grinder in the buttstock. Huh? <laughs> uh, coffee is another thing that I'm going to have to uh, make sure I have a good history of, because, oh boy, there's a lot going on with that. Yeah. Are we doing an episode on coffee in the future? Yes, I am. Planning to. I'm planning Beautiful. to cover caffeine specifically, though. Not just coffee, but caffeine and how we've utilized it throughout. That's for the future, though. Yeah. Well, on that note, who's what's what's next week? Oh, good question. Oh, that would be you. me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we will be covering uh, something tangentially related. Explosives and similar affair. <laughs> We shall be talking about something I have had the unpleasant experience of experiencing firsthand. Uh, both no, this indirect is the, fire. The other side, the other side uh, of the history that we've been talking about, the the not firearms, the uh... well, yeah, mines, explosive, for, explosively formed penetrators, uh, full denim hit warheads, lots of fun, interesting things uh, to come. Especially if you are a fan of games such as War Thunder or World of Tanks and general tank combat, because the tank was affected by the study and development of explosives, as well as ships and generally how we function. They also are a key component for nuclear bombs. No, we're not going to be studying nuclear bombs. Aww. I would like to not be visited by my local FBI agent. But that probably deserves an that would be. on its own as well. But I want yeah, a nuclear Yeah, you're not good. making them. FBI don't care if you're not making them. Yeah, like, materials but... you need to make them. There's, Fair, but there's, there's, like, we, can, we can go out in Australia and get us some uranium. Don't worry about it. I don't yeah, sure. think we can. I don't think there's actually anywhere where you could get it. Find you could find it naturally. In Australia, maybe. You can get yeah, yellow take in Australia. Which oh, is you can? To okay. Process. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's easy, but it's only easier to process. you still got to process it into the finished product that they use. Just, just and... to make sure we're clear, when you say yellow cake, you're not thinking about the one you find in the box of the Superstore, right? No. Okay, good. I'm talking about that. Otherwise, actual... I'd be very disappointed in you. I would be yeah. very No, I know the difference. I know the difference. <laughs> But yes, next time on uh, the Casual Collective is Explosives and Similar Fair, presented by yours truly. Indeed. No. Well, yep. And I then guess... after that, we'll discuss uh, if you come to Australia, how to make a nuke. Yeah. I <laughs> don't need to know that. And then after <laughs> that, we'll be going on about uh, quantum entanglement grenades and other such similar experimental no. future technology and how you no. can build one in your own backyard. Don't give them the flux capacitor schematics. That's all I ask. Make sure that in the Google search you put, like, for a school project. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> think that's how that works. Sure it is. Yeah, just say it's a school project, yeah. 
and then all these school kids start making it, and then it's just like, where the heck are you? Why? Why? Well, well I think no. I'd prefer a school full of kids carrying around nuclear bombs than a, 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 a school it, full of kids carrying around guns. Legalized nuclear bombs. Yes. Legalized uh, nuclear yes. bombs. No, thank you. 